0: Bold and raw perspectives of local politics, important information which impacts our community, nation, and world,
1: exposing truth, transparency, and getting to the heart of relevant issues that you just won't see in the clickbait media. And always keeping it real. It's
0: the Michelle Tanner Podcast. But I won't back down.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tanner Podcast. So, Back by popular demand today, I have a previous guest back on today, Terry Hutchinson, who is part of our local Washington County School Board here. So a couple of quick reminders, if you're listening to this on time anyway. This week, if you are here local in St. George, make sure that you attend the debate for St. George City Council. That is going to be, I'm just pulling it up right here, on November 1st. That's going to be at the university, and I believe that starts at 6 p.m., so Definitely make sure you are vetting candidates. So again, St. George City Council race, November 1st, 6 p.m. Make sure you go to that debate. OK, now when I had Terry on last time, we talked about a lot of important issues here in our school district. But really, this applies to to all school districts in the entire country. But I feel like with Terry here, we have an insider finally to address some of these questions that I know as parents, a lot of us have grandparents. I think one of the biggest Issues We have in America or concerns at least is the next generation and the way they're being taught and educated, which makes such an impact for our future. And sometimes, quite frankly, is scary to think of some of the next generation that's going to be the ones in charge here in a few years. So I'm grateful for people like Terry, who are standing up for our kids, proper education. So some of the things that we talked about last time, social, emotional learning. We we, touched on it. We touched on it. Um, and actually I just had Julie Beeling on the previous podcast to touch on some of that as well. And some of the concerns with that really Marxist ideology being put in there, essentially having social, emotional learning, diversity, equity, inclusion, kind of as this Trojan horse of, it sounds like kind of sunshine and rainbows and lollipops and things that we all, you know, want children to know how to manage their emotions but then can be potentially interjected with other ideologies that really aren't american or aren't really conducive to what some parents would be wanting their children to be taught. So when we talked about it a little bit last time it sounds like here locally anyway our teachers are kind of doing a softer version of, of that. But maybe let's delve into that a little bit more and more of your thoughts on the SEL program. Well,
0: we, we talked about SEL. So a couple of years ago, we were required to introduce that into the schools by the state. So this is something that comes through the legislature. It comes through the state school board uh, and uh, actually the state office of education. And the state office of education they're supposed to be under the state school board, but they're kind of a thing unto themselves. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the concerns that people have, in fact, I just got one this week from somebody who said, Hey, do you guys follow this? So I sent it around our administrators, never seen it, but it mirrors language that's on the state website. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, what we did with our SEL is we went to a vendor, we, we got the, Curriculum all together. The first thing we did was cut it out after eighth grade because that's where you start getting a lot of the real problematic material. Yes,
1: that's what I've okay? heard. So, so, so our we schools we do, do not that. have it no. past eight. We don't.
0: And then some of our intermediate schools can do their own thing and some of the elementary. So, like, I think one of them was doing uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Teens. Right. I mean, they, they can do those kind of things as long as they meet certain criteria with the state. And then um we really encouraged our administrators, and they've done a really good job, I think, of removing a lot of the material that the community wouldn't really agree with. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of that comes from the vendors, but the vendors have links for supplemental material, and so most of the real problems come when you link to the supplements. And our teachers are not allowed to do that, so mm-hmm. we've kind of removed a lot of that, and then we, we showed it to some of the parents, and some of the very conservative parents who were asking the questions. And the vendors have put hurdles in the way of that, but we were able to overcome that. We showed it to the parents, and the parents said, okay, yeah, this, this looks like it's okay. So, I mean, anytime you are dealing with public education, you're always going to have a compromise, situation from Mm -hmm. what's ideal for you and your family. And that's why, hey, if you want to homeschool, great. More power to you. If you want to go to a charter school or a private school or whatever you want to do great but we have an obligation to the public and that goes all the way back to the beginnings of the country when communities would band together and hire a school teacher to teach their children mm-hmm. and um i think that's we still have that vestige because as school board members we're elected at the local level we are the most locally elected officials i think you can get we have different districts even than you do as a St. George councilman. Right. Where you're elected kind of citywide. Yep, citywide. Yeah. See, I'm just in my area that's been redistricted three times in the last four years. Wow. I've shed probably six, 7,000 voters wow. to so. other school board members because How many my are growth in a district? is in there. Well, it's usually about 14 to 16, and um, I still have more than everybody. Because mm. I'm in the highest growth 14 area. To
1: 1600? Fourteen to sixteen thousand.
0: Fourteen to sixteen thousand. Oh
1: thousand. Yes. Okay.
0: I mean look, we have seven board members spread among Washington County and the Washington County's population just keeps growing. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we first moved here I want to say it was maybe a hundred, and now we're pushing two hundred. It's almost mm-hmm. doubled in the thirty years that we've been here. Yeah. And so, you know, we still answer to those districts. So I picked up I picked up some from the district that was, that used to be Kelly Blake's district. Mm-hmm. I lost Sun River. They're now represented by Craig Segmiller. And uh, so the boundaries keep changing every time we have a redistricting. Mm-hmm. But even so, we still have the growth. But I, <clears throat> while I'm over the entire school district, and I will answer to anybody in the school district who has a concern, whether they're my voter or not, I am specifically elected by essentially my neighbors. So we each yeah. live in the district where we are and um you know people can get a hold of me and express their concerns and and it's at that local level because the whole system is designed for it to be community based. Right. So we are the most responsive to the community. And the whole purpose of it of course is to take care of that next generation like you were mm-hmm. talking about. So The kids who are coming up, we we need to educate them. We need to make sure that they're safe. We need to make sure that um, they are able to be productive citizens and go out and serve the community. And that's what we do to the best of our ability.
1: Well, and it sounds like if someone really did want to push the issue further of the social emotional learning, removing that. And, you know, ethnic studies has been another one that has... Supposedly mandated now to come in, that there's some critical race theory injected into have that. That
0: uh, that actually was banned by the legislature. Right. And I think I mentioned on the last podcast we had a we had a teacher at one of my schools who was coming in from out of state mm-hmm. from a let's just say it was a blue state in the Midwest, mm-hmm. very blue. And uh, he said, "Oh, I don't care what the legislature says. I'm going to teach this." <laughs> Unfortunately he did that on Facebook and within a day he was having a chat with his principal right. and that's not happening. Right. So Um, So that's
1: the rumor, mm -hmm. at least. And I haven't looked up the legislative bill because this just came to my attention just like an hour ago. But supposedly there was some new bill passed. I don't know if it was through the school board or through the legislator about ethnic studies now being required. So
0: no, we 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 have. okay. so we have a little complicated relationship with the state school board in the state. Mm -hmm. There are certain things they require us to do. And we are mandated by law to do them. Mm -hmm. We have very little control over that. Right. Okay? My attitude is, prove I have to do it before I do it. Period. Right. Because if I don't have to do it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Now, there is another way that they control us. And it's through what we call risk management. Mm -hmm. And this is a way for the bureaucrats to go through. And they say, well, we had this during COVID. So they said, listen... This is our recommendation that you do this a certain way. And we said, "Well, okay, it's a recommendation. We don't have to do that." They said, right. "Yeah, you, we don't." But risk management says if the state recommends it and you don't do it, we won't defend you in court. Mm-hmm. My attitude is, then I will sue the state because and, uh, you are supposed to you are supposed to cover me as an elected official if I make a decision. You don't control me as a bureaucrat. Right. But the system doesn't work that way. Right. And so because just the threat of a possible lawsuit and a lack of defense, which we could afford to do. We're a rich district, so to speak. But we don't want to waste the taxpayers' money. So some of our school board members felt it wasn't worth taking the risk. So they didn't want to do that. That's a way that that we are controlled by the state that's completely off the books. And nobody really notices that. And a lot of people don't see that. And so sometimes they'll blame us as elected officials. Mm blame me all you want. That's why I ran. I ran to take the responsibility. I ran to take the tough votes. And if I vote a certain way, so be it. Right. You know,
1: which, by the way, I would like to ask the state and our governor, you know, why is it kids aren't allowed to wear their Halloween mask to school tomorrow on Halloween? Yet you masked our children for an entire school year. Well, the irony.
0: Those are those are rhetorical <laughs> questions. I know. Believe me, I know. Um, we we fought the issue of masks quite a bit, and um, you know, there's a a political thing behind that.
1: Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and was that tied, mm-hmm. by the way, to COVID funds? Was there a a promise or some no, type of a string attached not. to? COVID funds coming into the state that the state had
0: to implement certain restrictions on? It's possible, but it's also not. I mean, the federal government, when they want to give you money, they'll put strings on them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people go for that money. Right. We don't go for all that money. If the strings become too onerous, then you can decide whether or not to take the money. And we, we had that talk last time in part one where I think if the strings become too much we we would consider you know making some changes in that way so right. but even state funds come with strings yeah so you know all of them it's very complex we have a lot of different funds that come from a lot of different bills a lot of different entities you know and each one of them has its own thing that you can use it for or not use it for mm-hmm. but the thing about the masks essentially was the governor as the chief executive of the state said, either you're going to mask your children or we're going to close your school, period. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: That reason alone should be a reason why Governor Cox should never serve in another elected position again. It wasn't by the way.
0: just him, though. It was Governor it Herbert. Wasn't. Yeah. It was Governor Herbert. And both of those guys listened to. Anita Dunn, who was kind of controlled by the CDC. Mm -hmm. Eventually they eased her out into the Salt Lake County position. You remember, they masked their kids for about a minute. Mm -hmm. And then, so, I mean, the whole thing was just, uh, I think everybody kind of lost their minds for a while. (laughs) Amen. Some uh, haven't got them back, but... (laughs) Well, I've I've been pretty disappointed with some of the things that that Governor Cox has done. And even though I kind of supported him against his opponent, um, you know, We'll see what happens if he runs again or if there's a primary. But it's it's just a tough scenario that, that right. they face. Oh, I think but he's we running had a We had a choice. We could either close the schools or put the masks on the kids. Right. And no matter how much I kicked and screamed and held my breath, nothing was going to change that. Yeah, so, but
1: you should have never been put in that position. We
0: shouldn't have. And or the governor we should have had, had the well, power
1: to make sure that you weren't in that position. Well,
0: here's the wild thing. We were told that the decision to close schools was going to be a local decision. We had a board meeting on a Tuesday. We were having meetings about every other day for a while there. Mm-hmm. And we had a meeting scheduled on a Friday as to whether or not we had... Um, our public health officials come in to brief us about whether or not we should close the schools. And they were going to brief us and tell us no. Well, a half hour before our meeting, the governor had a press conference and he closed the schools unilaterally statewide, mm. period. Mm-hmm. So our hands were tied. Yeah. And our choice would be, well, we could sue the governor and try and force it open, make him prove the science, but... Which they
1: would not have been able to do, by the way, because the science actually should have been doing that. I was well
0: aware of that, and when I would bring up the science from Europe, where schools were open, uh, it fell on deaf ears. And our public health officials, to their credit, they just said, "Listen, our hands are tied. We have had our authority making decision here in Washington County removed to Salt Lake. Period." So there was a lot of shenanigans that went on there. And we complained about it to the legislature. But legislatures take a long time to do something. Mm -hmm. And that's just the nature of the legislative branch. Right. So they didn't even do it for a year. And even then, we got a weird deal where the adults weren't masked and the kids were. And it was just, yeah.
1: Insanity. That's a good
0: word for it. Yes. yes. So switching gears for Mm -hmm. a minute.
1: Dress code. I've had several parents i feel like reach out and and it, it's kind of gone both ways some you know think that why aren't their uniforms implemented and you know some think why can't my kid wear a bikini to school so where does that fall it, is the dress code really enforced cuz it seems like it's really not enforced we
0: have a dress code and they say they enforce it but uh, we get a lot of reports that the Enforcement is a little inconsistent, Mm -hmm. and so that's a conversation we continually have among the board. We continually have with the administration, and um, uh, let's just say that's currently an ongoing discussion. But I I mean, I I, changes certainly need to be made to it Mm -hmm. to be more acceptable, Um, and I think they were burned a little bit because they had something in the dress code about hair dye, and then a little. Gorilla in middle school, I think it was, out in Hurricane. Her hair was red. She got sent home. Somebody sued, a national right. embarrassment. So I think people are a little gun-shy from that. And, and a lot of them have the, the idea, gosh, we're just glad the kids are there. Right. Um, the legislature, in one of their less intelligent moves recently about education, loosened some of the uh, attendance requirements, mm. and now we have more non-attendance Oh, and interesting. so now the legislature came to us during some of the legislatures during our meetings informally this summer, and they said, you know, we think we went a little too far. Let's back up a minute. So you're going to see some legislation come out. They did that, and they did the open boundaries, and that's been, I, in my opinion, personally, that was a disaster for a lot of schools
1: because now even if you're not district for a certain school correct we can send our child to any school we want
0: well you can send your child to any school that you want if you are willing to accept the responsibility to transport them Mm -hmm. and if that school hasn't been closed because it's too large. Okay. It took us two years. Crimson Cliffs got closed. Mm. So we only have a few schools that are closed. For a while, Desert Hills was closed. Now it's open. You can go to the school of your choice and, and you know parents should be able to make those decisions for their students. I, I kind of get that. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, uh, I remember when Desert Hills opened and my kids were all at Pineview and everybody in our neighborhood they just got these carpools and they went to Desert Hills because it was the new school. Mm-hmm. And Pineview was kind of left behind. Mm-hmm. And and that really hurt a lot of the students at Pineview because the kids that were going to Desert Hills, a lot of people say, well, they're the doctors and the lawyers and the educators' kids, they're, they're richer. And that's not really it. But what it was is those are the parents whose kids are more structured about education. Mm-hmm. And I think you find that when kids have friends whose families are structured in education even if their home is not structured those kids tend to do better they benefit from having friends who have friends you mm-hmm. know who have parents who provide that better parental support or family support that a lot of families in in modern times either can't or won't do right and so it, it really tends to hurt that so I think the legislature went a little too far with that I like the idea you live in a certain area this is the school if you want to change schools, come tell us why, not Mm. just okay, you got car, you got keys, you got gas, you can take your kid to that school. I I don't like that. So there
1: could still be a process of, you know, if you do really feel strongly that your kid needs to go to the school way across town, but more of an application process, you're saying, versus... I I would
0: say let it be a case-by-case rather than just open it up and let let them do that. I mean, and they still control it from athletics. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, oh yeah, they're going over there to play golf or to play tennis or football or whatever it is, and that's different procedure that they have to follow mm-hmm. they can attend that school but to participate in sports they have to get permission from the old school and from the new school and it's a kind of a complicated problem yeah so you know could we always do better as i always see in these things yeah we probably could but there's some tweaking that needs to be done but but essentially the issue of attending schools right now parents have the right to do that unless the school is closed
1: Mm-hmm. okay so, what is your position, or is there a policy? I'm assuming in place in terms of bullying, harassment. I've been hearing some reports lately of fist fights going on at some of the schools. I mean, I'm sure there's always a, a certain number of that. That if, just if something happens, like that but...
0: happens, if something like that happens that's significant, like that would be kind of the the thing that the rumor mill gives. Mm-hmm. We would have been told.
1: Okay, so you have not been made aware of any. No, I mean, you might occasionally have
0: kids that fight or kids that get involved in something. And usually that's handled by the schools, by the juvenile courts. And we don't normally get involved in those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So it really just depends. Um, As far as bullying goes or discrimination, uh, we do have some brief trainings for the kids because we don't. We don't want to encourage that kind of behavior, Mm -hmm. and we don't tolerate that kind of behavior. Davis County got in trouble with the federal government. I mentioned this in the last post, in the last podcast. Um, They are under a consent order with the federal government right now because they had some racial bullying going on, Mm -hmm. and that's just unacceptable. Right. And so sometimes when when we have that, it's like, okay, it's okay for kids to be this way or that way or however they feel. We're not trying to encourage the kids to do that or to accept that kind of behavior for themselves, but we are also are acting, asking them to be tolerant and not bully and not discriminate against people who make choices other than theirs. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things of our culture that we have to navigate. Right. And so one of the, uh, that's one of the purposes of social emotional learning is to help kids to be able to recognize the differences between themselves and yet to not deal with it in a negative or abusive or violent way.
1: Yeah, well, and as long as it's not being portrayed in the way that it is a lot of places, even here at our local university, uh, well, well, because you're white, you know, you should be carrying around a lot of guilt right now because you're oppressing people. And if you have color, then, well, we've got literally, this was told to me by a, a professor that, if you're white, you've got to sometimes stack those boxes so that people of color can reach up and grab the fruit too, whereas you know white people can just grab it without mm-hmm. those boxes mm-hmm. being. I mean, that's just the most racist thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but I think that's some of the concern with social emotional learning is: is are you going to get this activist teacher that tries to spin it, you know, in their own? We've
0: had some reports. Um, we had an elementary school teacher who who I think they showed a movie or they showed read a book, uh, a picture book, and we had a complaint about it. We looked at it, and it was easy to see that that person kind of made a mistake, And it wasn't a mistake of, oh, gosh, I'm promoting this agenda. It's, oh, gosh, I didn't think this would be taken that way. Mm. And so, you know, we we address those on a case-by-case basis. But but if anybody has one of those, we look into every one of them. You know, um, after our last podcast, somebody was talking on a social media post about SEL and just making big complaints about it, how horrible it was, how their kids were being this and this and this. I sent them my cell phone number and said, call me crickets. Mm. Now, listen, if you want to affect change, you better tell me what it is that is going on so I can affect change. If you're just going to keep your mouth shut about it, then you don't know what you're talking about, frankly, in my opinion. Uh, And and so it's like um, you got a report about a bathroom, but that person would never call me. Okay. And we've investigated it twice, Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's just a hoax. Yeah. So it's like, okay, where do we draw the line? We're always willing to take a look at, especially me... If something questionable is going on, let's take a look at it and let's get it handled. And I know the other board members are the same way. We have some differences of opinion about certain things to do, how much weight we give to administrative decisions or other things. Mm -hmm. But all of us have the same basic values, and especially when it comes to protecting the kids from some of these things that are creeping in from the overall culture.
1: Right. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that about you because I agree. I mean, if we want to make change, we have to be getting involved with our local representatives. And and yeah, if it involves the school, that's got to be you. That's got to be me. And I respond to. to
0: nearly every email that I get. Yeah. If somebody emails me. You'll usually get a response back within a day or two. Now, I don't. I don't sit there on my school email, and I don't. <laughs> I don't put it into my phone. So, I. But uh, I check it every day if I can, right. and uh, I respond whether the emails to me or the group or anything else. I always try and respond.
1: Awesome. So there's been this push, I think, nationally within schools that it is going to encompass the whole child you hear that buzzword i feel like a lot the whole child approach and to me my like spidey senses go off when I hear that thinking oh great something else that government thinks they need to swoop in and start raising my child instead of you know my parental rights in raising my child but can you maybe explain some of that if we're seeing a push of that in our schools and also wellness centers if you can touch on what wellness centers are. Well the wellness
0: centers and the whole child the whole child is just simply that's that's the approach of you know we want to be concerned about the student Mm -hmm. in general Mm -hmm. okay and some people use that to, to promote other things, right. but normally, with, in our case, the parents are the ones who get to decide. Now, a wellness center is a little different. A wellness center, our schools are, are there where the kids can take a time out, where they can learn to deal with emotions rather than in a negative way. So we have cases sometimes where an elementary student will trash a classroom. And, you know, our ability to manage that sometimes is limited. Mm -hmm. So we've found that with some kids who obviously don't have the same uh, the same family support structure in place, they need to be able to learn how to control their anger, their frustration, uh, rather than using it in a negative and a destructive way to be able to go to a place where they can be calm, where somebody can kind of check on them and help them get control of themselves, help them take a breath, and then go back to the classroom and continue on. Mm-hmm. And we found that this is a, a really helpful thing. I, we, we put it in some, some classrooms uh, initially. This is a few years ago, and we saw some of them, and my initial reaction was, come on, really? I mean, I didn't need that when I was growing up. <laughs> but on the other hand, the culture is different. Mm-hmm. And families are different. And the influence of phones and social media and all the other pressures that are on kids are different. And they are responding differently. There are significant changes between the way kids respond now and the way they did a generation or two ago. Right. And therefore, these are attempts from us you know, to kind of help them learn how to deal with that in a positive and constructive way rather than to um, just kick them out of school. Right. Or to send them home and you know let them go through whatever they're going through. I mean, we still have, we still have situations where the kids have to go home where they can't come to school. We have Mill Creek, which is a, a high school where the kids can do home studies, and they have to do that when they're caught with, you know, vape pens, when they're caught with drugs, when they have other concerns and, and the violence, some of the some mm-hmm. of the fights. They'll be they'll be removed from the school system for a while. So yeah. it's it's a challenge, but that's one of the things that we provide. So I have come to appreciate the wellness centers. Could they be abused by certain students? Probably.
1: So one story that I had heard about a wellness center is there was a mother whose child is autistic and and mm-hmm. frequents the mm-hmm. wellness center a lot. Um, And it's been a good thing. But there was a rainbow LGBT flag in the wellness center. And actually, it was her son who said, I don't feel welcome in here. I'm, you know, Christian. That's not I'm straight. I don't this doesn't make me feel welcome in here. And so to that school's credit. They said, oh, well, we didn't really think of it that way before, and they actually did remove the flag. Now, do we have a policy in place, though, that would now prevent that scenario from even happening?
0: that, That shouldn't have happened, but we've more formalized the policy. So the teachers have a personal space like the desktop, their their file cabinets, inside the file cabinets, inside the drawer where they can, you know, make some personal statements. But mm-hmm. the things on the walls, everything has to be curriculum-based and can't be uh, used for, you know, other purposes than of the curriculum. I so. couldn't
1: put up a Trump flag if I'm nope, a teacher. No, they
0: couldn't. <laughs> couldn't put up a Captain Moroni banner. Uh-huh. Couldn't, Which couldn't I, I put think up, is good. Know. Yeah, I now, think it should. Some of our counselors can probably put up college flags. But then they're trying to get kids to college, so it's a little different. Um, yeah. you know. But we try and we, we, we've we been tweaking that policy lately. Yeah. But uh, that one, we didn't get complained because the school took care of it. And that's what they're supposed to do. We've trained our principals. We've trained our teachers and our schools to try and look for these kind of things and take care of them before they get to our level, which is great. Because if I'm not hearing about it, that means... It's been taken care of or it's not a problem.
1: Yeah. And you brought up Mill Creek, which I actually, Mm -hmm. by the way, think can be a really good option for some students. So for me, actually, I hated high school. I had terrible attendance. And even though I actually graduated technically from Pine View High School, I did those Mill Creek take home packets Mm -hmm. my last year so that I could I graduated early. It was great. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is really something cool that we actually can offer students here in Well, our we have district. the
0: online classes now too. Yeah, we have which, a lot yeah, of different, different options when I graduated. For, for the students now. So yeah. it's really good. I like to go to the Mill Creek graduations. I've gone as often as I can as a board member. I think I've only missed one out of the seven that I've, wow. that I've handled. And I love seeing what those kids overcome, yeah. those challenges to be able to get there. And then they always have an alumni come back, somebody who Went through what those kids have, and then they've been, become successful. Yeah. Whether it's you know an RN or something, just just somebody who's been able to do something more with their life. That's the whole point of it. Yeah, and and so it's it's a it's a really good program. The CT High School is uh, phenomenal. And uh, I think it's going to be a blessing to a lot of kids going forward. So that's going to be
1: the technical high school.
0: We opened it. Oh, it's open now. It's going. We've opened it. it It's going. There's about 550 students there. I think it'll hold as many as eight. Um, And so Uh the students there, they focus on getting their technical technical certificates, whatever it is. And then the um, requirements for graduation, like English, math, um, language, all of those other skills, are aimed at those, at those trades. Mm-hmm. So, you don't have to worry about math at the calculus level if you're just doing stuff to be a, 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 car, a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things that that are taught there. So it's it's really it's really a, a phenomenal resource that we've got, and uh, we're we're pretty excited about it.
1: Yeah. so I've heard some parents ask or complain about screen time, the amount of screen time mm-hmm. kids are getting, and that and I don't know because I haven't experienced this personally with my kids, but apparently there's some schools that are just having kids on tablets a lot, computers a lot is. The sh- is the school curriculum kind of shifting to that electronic version? They use,
0: those, they use those when the curriculum can facilitate it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not something that we're just doing. We're saying, hand this and learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to use it as an educational tool, just like a calculator. Right. I mean, when I took the ACT, you couldn't have a calculator in the ACT with you. Now they let them take calculators. Um, when we were at the a National Convention in April, the inventor of Siri came and spoke to to us on the last day about artificial intelligence. And because a lot of people are worried about that. How is that going to be done? Well, here's, here's a way he suggested that you could use in order to help your children learn to use this tool. Mm -hmm. So the Chromebooks are tools. They're not just screens. I mean, they're not watching movies on it. They're not playing games on it, but yes, they're using a screen, but how many of them are going to be doing that through their lives? Screens are becoming more and more prevalent in our society and in all the professions as well as the trades. Yeah you're just going to have to figure out how to do it. So we're teaching them to use those as tools. They are used as tools. Um, it
1: seems like if I were a student right now, I would just mm-hmm. be getting on chat GPT and uh, you know, putting in whatever assignment I wanted. I wonder if that's become an issue yet with kids <laughs> Not using at our AI. level yet.
0: Not <laughs> at our level yet. But one of the things that they suggested is you, you tell them the answer in advance and then you let them try and find that answer with chat GPT. And so they learn how to use that through a series of questions or a th- series of queries. It's just like trying to learn a Google search, doing some legal research or something like that. When I go and I'm looking up a case, I'm going to put in a, a, a search parameter and then I'm going to narrow that parameter until I can find the, the type of information that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So. That's just one of the things that eventually will be done. But, yeah, we're, we're going to have some bumps along the road trying to yeah. wrestle with this new technology. And the technology is exploding. Yeah. I mean, about a year ago, the amount of artificial intelligence searches, I think they said they had like a million hit. It took them 10 months to get to 100 million hits or something like that. And this last round, uh, it took them, I want to say, three days. To get that much. I mean, and it's just exponential. So um, as that improves and as that grows, it's going to be an ever bigger challenge for educators as well as everybody else to try and figure it out.
1: Yeah. And where do we fall academically compared to the rest of the nation? Because most of it we touched on this a little bit last time, but. Overall, academic scores are low. And I know, you know, COVID obviously with kids not going to school and that whole year was just disastrous. I know that plays a role, but I also feel like this this push of pushing these other things that aren't academics is that also playing a role in decreasing the The academic test scores. It isn't
0: decreasing the academic test scores, but I think particularly in Washington County, we were only closed for a few months. Right. So we were open that whole next year. Yeah. And although the masks did, I believe, affect our ability to learn, it still was not as bad as it was throughout most of the country. Mm -hmm. And so overall, I think most of our numbers are higher than the state average and Utah's numbers are really good compared to the amount of money that we spend. Mm -hmm. So a lot of places are the more money you spend on education, the better off you are. No, that's not the case. I think if you really look at it, we get more bang for our buck than most of the states in the country. Um, And, other states where they were closed for a lot longer, those test scores have drastically dropped. I talked to our administrators in the summer when we were doing our review of last year and our goals for this year about where we felt we were having recovered from COVID, and they said, We've they believe we've almost completely recovered.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, there's still always room for improvement. Right. But but it really didn't have as big of an impact on us because we were able to stay open. In fact, we didn't close a single school because of a COVID outbreak.
1: Yeah. Well, and I feel like a big portion of that is the principal mm-hmm. and the teacher mm-hmm. of the student. What kind of a vetting process do these people that we hire go through before they're brought on. And then if we do find that they're actually a terrible educator, can we actually get rid of them? Because I can tell you firsthand in government, sometimes it's really difficult to uh, terminate someone who is really shouldn't be there, has no business being there. Is well, that the we same in a, our education? we have a
0: probation period, so when we hire them, they, you know, they're not they're, they're just on a renewable contract for a couple of years. Um, our principals are selected. When, when I got on the board, we changed that process. So now there's a pool that they apply for at the beginning of every year they get interviewed and they get put in that pool. And then when there's openings, we choose from that pool. Mm -hmm. We as a school board, three of us are participate in those interviews. And usually it's the person whose school is is affected. So if an opening comes at Crimson Cliffs, I'm involved. Mm -hmm. If an opening comes at Desert Hills, I'm involved. Um, It just depends, some of those. And then the administration, whether if it's a secondary, then it's the secondary superintendent. If it's an elementary, it's the elementary superintendent, assistant superintendent, as well as the superintendent of Schools, the HR people get involved. I mean, there's a whole panel, and we interview several applicants, and then we pick one. And uh, are you ever
1: looking mm-hmm. at their resume and it says Dixie State University, and you think, "Oh, f- I'm not hiring this person. They went to a, a racist university."
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's never happened. But a lot of times w- we hire. We've been able to hire mostly from within. Mm-hmm. We have had some outside people interviewing. We've had some really good success with that. But uh, the vast majority of people who apply are from within. And, of course, it's because we're big and yeah. people are already here. For The cost of people relocating to St. George right now is a real challenge for mm-hmm. some of them, as yeah. we found when, when we were looking for people to come. It just is, is a little bit of a jump. And we're kind of an outlier because we're four hours away from everything, And, you know, it's just a mix of... A little bit of rural and then we also have some urban and so it's and good it's luck a really finding unique a house if they want to move here yes, right <laughs> exactly so you know those are challenging we hired the principals and the principals hired the teachers and they screen them with the HR there's background checks there's there's all kinds of you know safeguards and then they watch them and um, sometimes they don't get renewed and sometimes they do and you know then they just proceed and then they're constantly trained and teachers now participate in what they call the PLC's so there are groups of teachers who get together, and they uh, work together as a team. So uh, there's a lot more team efforts going on among the teachers. They found that that's very successful. And Do we uh, have
1: a teacher's union down here?
0: Yes, we do. About, Is it
1: very strong?
0: Uh, we don't know exactly how many belong to it, but I would say between 25 and 30%. Okay. So,
1: so they're not necessarily out there doing We're a lot not, of lobbying. Look, we,
0: they negotiate, and we work, try and work with them as best we can. But they certainly don't have the influence that other unions do up north. Mm, okay. And, you know, they try and get that. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I only have another minute. But those teachers union commercials where they say it's all about the kids, they're lying. Oh, they
1: are so lying.
0: They're lying. <laughs> Actually, they're doing their job. They're representing the teachers. Those are their people. They want to get the most for their people. For whatever that's their job, right. and if they say anything else, then they're lying. Absolutely. Either they're bad at their job, or they're just trying to fool everybody. Yeah. But um, we have really good success working with our association down here. Oh, that's we have good. a good relationship with them. It becomes adversarial at times every year we negotiate the contract, but it's it's really a a, a good team and, and we rely on them a lot to follow through with our policies and things like that so it's it's been a good experience
1: yeah well i appreciate you coming sure. on again Happy to do it again yeah part two i feel like there's always things that we could talk about in regards to mm-hmm. our school district down yeah. here but thanks again terry already
0: i'll be back again sometime when you get some other questions awesome. thanks michelle Thank thanks you. for having me on Bye. anytime Thanks for being a part of the Michelle Tanner podcast. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share. And always remember to keep exposing truth. But I won't back down. No, I won't back down.
1: This has been a production from a podcast studio.